Ladies and gentlemen, we are live. Oh, welcome back to the Invincible FC podcast. Um, Connor, how you doing tonight? Pretty good. Oh, good. I'm glad to hear it, man. I'm glad to hear it. Uh, I'm doing. I'm doing pretty well uh, as well. Unfortunately, we do not have Josh with us this evening. Josh, you are in our thoughts and prayers. Um, but unfortunately, Josh is preoccupied, so he won't be able to join us for this conversation. We are going to go over. Um, some of the matches from this past weekend. Uh, if there's a particularly good prediction that we came out with, then obviously we'll discuss that. Um, but for the most part, we're just going to kind of talk about the games, our thoughts on them, and things like that. Uh, yeah, so sure. why don't we take it from the top? Uh, we can start with the with the big one, the one of the most interesting games of the whole weekend, despite the kind of low-scoring nature of the affair. Uh, Man City won. Liverpool won. Connor, does this kind of almost feel like a victory to you? No, no, I wouldn't go that far, but I'm definitely happy with it. Um, I mean, Liverpool has a pretty horrible record recently in going away to the Etihad, and the fact that we came out of there with a draw, didn't concede more than one, and also like didn't give up too many great chances to them. Um, like, but when we've gone there in recent years, I mean, a four-one result has happened twice. So I'm happy that you know we were able to think, keep things contained, not give up any more than that first goal, and actually hang in there and come out of there with a draw. Um, it definitely showed conviction in the team, but at the same time, it makes me nervous for going down later in the season because. I don't know if if you don't have a massive lead at Christmas, it almost feels inevitable that City will win, and they're going to get KDB back, and they're only going to get more dangerous and start rolling as the te- as the season goes on. So while I'm that happy we didn't lose, you want it? Yes, it, it's the realistic view. Um, but I don't know. I'm I'm happy to get out of there with a point, and I'm confident when they come to Anfield later in the season. If we're within striking distance, we can definitely make a game of it and hopefully win that one. That would be pretty interesting if it does come to pass. Um, yeah, I mean, I think Liverpool availed themselves really well in this match. City were pretty strong for the most part, um, and it, it took a, a pretty significant error from Allison, the Liverpool goalkeeper, to allow City into the net. Uh, can't discredit Holland for the finish. It was a strong goal. But, um, yeah, I, I think we saw Liverpool's quality for the most part in this game. Uh, and you guys did really well stepping toe-to-toe to City. I think uh, they were a bit yeah, too timid. You guys? You feel like your, your boys were? A little bit. Um, and definitely, That's probably I don't know, ceded a little bit too much respect to City at times. Mm-hmm. But at the end of the day, they got a decent result with the 1-1 draw. And, um, yeah, I know I predicted a win, but I was, I wasn't fully expecting one, <laughs> but yeah, I'm glad to get out of there with a draw. Fair enough. I think that's fair. Um, I think Trent Alexander-Arnold, despite being partially at fault when Men's City scored the goal, uh, is actually really, um, probably the best player on the pitch at the end of the day. Uh, scores a magnificent goal. 
Uh, I just really enjoyed watching him in the match, so I wanted to shout that out. Um, yeah. Moving on. Unless you had something else to add. No, nothing else. All right, great. Uh, well, let's let's step on to the next match then. Uh, we've got Burnley hosting West Ham. This match ended 2-1 in West Ham's favor, a result that you actually predicted exactly correctly. Connor, what, what led your intuition to this this magnificent prediction that you made? Um, West Ham aren't the strongest side, but they're certainly a better side. And uh, Burnley seemed to do a goal. So that was about it. They're not gonna. They're not gonna go score this every single game, um, but they could lose every game. Um, <laughs> they seriously so, could lose every game. It might not be very good for them. Yeah, um, but West Ham uh, haven't had a strong start to the year, and I think in years past, this is when they've struggled against lower league sides. They're not really the side that can dominate the ball, dominate possession, but. Um, they have been more clinical this year and put away the chances that they do get, even though they can't really control the game like, you know, the top of the table can. Um, but they have quality players who can put away their chances when they need to. Yeah. Um, yeah. Late, late drama to, to steal the win on this one, actually. They came no. from behind. Yeah. Uh, there, there have been so many come from behinds this season in the Premier League. It's actually been a lot of fun to watch, in my opinion. I really enjoy um, that kind of moment and that kind of content. Um, yeah, I'm not sure that I have much to add to this result or this kind of discussion. West Ham are decent. Burnley are bad. And that's just kind of what we're going to see from that, that sort of thing. Let's bounce on to the next match on the list, which was a more surprising result. Um, and this is Luton Town hosting Crystal Palace at Kenilworth Road, getting their first win for the franchise in the Premier League at Kenilworth Road. What a result. Huge result for Luton. I mean, Huge result. for a team that was predicted to be the worst in history, they are putting up a fight and making quite the show of it as they go through their games. Because they do not just roll over. They they fight through tooth and nail um, to get the best result they can. And I think I've said this before, but it really helps that last season they were able to play the exact same way. Mm. Um, they had to, they were able to put, you know, like their backs against the wall, say like, it's us against the world. Who would think that we could make it out of the championship into the Premier League? And now they ha- they're in the same position, you know. They're just like no, I rolling agree. with it, and and they they're able to go out there and just say, "Hey, we're gonna fight and prove them wrong." No, I so, agree. I think it's been fantastic from them so far. Uh, I've been really impressed by Luton's resolve. Um, and I think one thing that that is lost on a lot of people that Luton exemplify in a really great way is you will win games if you can score on set pieces. Yeah. they Every result they get is because they're scoring on a set piece. And, and it's really impressive that they're just leaning on their strengths and getting the job done. And, I, yeah, I, I can't help but root for them a little bit. It's going to be hard because there are not really any teams that I want to see go down this year. So there are going to be some pretty likable teams that end up getting relegated, which will be a bit morally challenging, I think. Yeah, 
And unfortunately, one of those teams will feel unfairly relegated if it happens. Yeah, definitely, 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 definitely. Oh, um, one more note before we pass on from this match. Uh, Michael Olise's goal, kind of incredible. It was the second best goal of the weekend, only to a, a different goal that we will discuss in a bit. Um, but just want to throw that out there. Uh, I was really, really impressed by that piece of quality from him. Uh, we don't have to spend too much time on this match. It was kind of a weird one, um, but Newcastle 4, Chelsea 1. Chelsea have been doing pretty well, and this feels like a real downturn in, in, in form for them, obviously. Not been to the standard that they've been at recently. Um, I do think that there's a, a piece of reality to the fact that they're a young team still finding their form, so there are going to be ups and downs and good results and bad results, and they probably shouldn't panic even though they kind of imploded in this game. I just think that sometimes when you're a young and kind of volatile team, when you lose, you lose. But as long as you can bounce back and pick a few more results out of interesting games, I think Chelsea could be in and around challenging for European spots this season. Yeah, uh, I don't think this is a massive setback. I mean, like I said before the game and why I predicted the 3-1 result for Newcastle was because almost all of the big results that Chelsea have had this season have come at home. Mm. Um, They very rarely have gotten those big results away. Um, And I think they're a work in progress still. Um, They're not... I, I don't think they'll even be close to a finished product from the start of next season. Um, they're, I think they're in it for the long haul. And as long as Poch shows that there's improvement within the squad, a sense of identity, a style of play, and consistently better results, I think he'll keep his job um, for the long haul. Yeah, I agree. Poch is looking like a project guy for Chelsea. Mm-hmm. Um, all right, moving on to what ended up being a pretty dramatic game, actually. Uh, Nottingham Forest 2, Brighton 3. This was a heck of a match. Um, I was one off on so many of these. Yeah, we were very tough, close to getting this one. Uh, I ended weekend. up being the only one taking a point out of this game. I did predict Brighton to win, but 2-0, which was not really what happened. Um, Forest played well. They put up some serious fight. Obviously, they're one of the hardest teams to play away at uh, in the Premier League, and, and they showed it on the day. But Brighton, I mean, Brighton are a good side, and, and they were due a, a win. It's been a while for them. Yeah. Yeah. Um, not too much to add there. Um, but I think this is definitely a little bit of – I don't know, like a statement win for Brighton because this is a game where you could see them losing and they walked away with a result. And going forward, the games like this are probably what are going to put them potentially in European football. Um, and they need those results to cling to that spot. Because um, right now, are they in seventh? Um, I believe they are, but let's check. Yeah, I mean... So there's there's obviously kind of two to three tiers. They're in eighth behind Newcastle, who's in seventh. Uh, you've got Man United okay. sixth, and then the top five is kind of the same top five it's been all season. Yeah. Um, 
I really do think we're looking at a couple of different battles emerging here. It will be Arsenal, Manchester City, and Liverpool as the top three, probably. Um, mm-hmm. Even though Aston Villa have been performing well in our level on points with Liverpool, you would imagine that the experience and um, overall quality in the Liverpool squad would carry, and the same for Arsenal and Man City, carry them just a little bit further than the Aston Villa or Tottenham squads. Um, I mean, if you look at Aston Villa's goals for and goals against, uh, they are the highest or no, second highest scored scoring team in the league. But they've given up 18 goals this season, and I think the 18 goals is more indicative of where they should be at than the 31 goals. So, <laughs> can definitely see some regression throughout the season. That's de- um, that's definitely probable. I would I would say there's almost no doubt that we will see some regression from Aston Villa over the course of the year. We're already seeing some regression from Tottenham from where they were at the beginning of the season. Obviously, they they, they started out the season in first place for a few weeks. Um, good vibes about that project still, but a couple of tough results are putting them in, in not the most amazing position. Um, Man United surprising in sixth uh, with 24 points. I mean, well, only four points off the top four. They've quietly worked their way back into the conversation. Yeah, they've been hovering in that sixth position for a couple of uh, match weeks now, though. They, um, I, I think that... Their their misfortunes have been well publicized, but they're also getting a lot of games where they just win one nil on like some dinky goal they didn't deserve. Like that's happened two or three times for them already this season. Yeah, um, well, they either win or lose. They don't draw. <laughs> they do not draw, and that's what's helping them is that they they're picking up three points every time that they marginally deserve it. So that that's I mean that's good for them. But um, yeah, I mean you you would imagine that that Villa and Tottenham are going to be battling out for that fourth spot. Um, but with but Man United, Newcastle, and Brighton all look like sides that have a chance to kind of inject themselves into that conversation with a few impressive results as we move forward here. Yeah, I don't know. It'll be interesting. That table is going to shift and change on us a lot. But the top eight look like they're pretty decided, unless Chelsea can make something happen. Because I do think they're the only squad out to- outside of the current top eight that has the quality to really break in there. Uh, we're not going to talk about the fact that I predicted West Ham to get relegated. We're just going to move on. Um, Sheffield United won. Bournemouth three. A huge result for the Cherries here. Um, they're kind of falling back towards that relegation zone a little bit, and this is a, a, a big three points to pull them a little bit further away. Um, Bournemouth and, and Luton actually both picking up um, three points this weekend is really sort of pushing that Sheffield United, Everton, and Burnley group a little bit further down. Um, there's potential, obviously, for, for Everton to climb that that board, A, based off the fact that they've looked a much stronger team than those around them right uh, so far this season. And, um, of course, if they appeal and their points deduction is lessened, that will help them as well. Um, yeah. We'll see. That, I mean, either way, a really big three points for Bournemouth, who have to be concerned about getting ahead, uh, getting ahead of and staying ahead of teams like Luton, Sheffield United, and then ideally for them as well, Nottingham Forest. Yeah. Um, I don't know. I uh, Thinking about Everton's 10-point deduction, like in a way, it feels harsh, but also like you do want a punishment to have some actual consequences. And so if it is 
change to like five points and that would put them back out of the relegation zone and send them uh send Luton uh back into the relegation zone then like I feel like there's no way they get relegated this season and it's the difference between them ending up 14th and 15th you know yeah it's a little bit of a slap in the wrist and it's kind of meaningless so like if they had not had such a good start to the season based off of where we expected them to be I think 10 points would have been too harsh but to put them back in the relegation scrap I think is kind of fair yeah I it, it does seem like they also have like a really good chance to climb their way back out of it you know what I mean? yeah. like Everton's not in a terrible position they've been playing well this year yes they just lost 3-0 to Man United which we're about to talk about they have a negative but... six goal or negative six goal differential but I mean, even going up to Bournemouth, who are in 16th, they're negative 14. The closest team yeah. around them is, is negative 11, and that's Luton. So, I mean, they're playing much better than all the teams around them, and you would spe- expect to them to climb uh, at least to that. 15th, 16th. I think they'll be hanging out with Forrest and Fulham and Palace by the end of the season. Um, but we shall see. Uh, let, we'll talk about them very briefly again in a minute. Um, let's move on to my favorite match of the weekend. Brentford nil, Arsenal one. Uh, Kai Havertz does the job at the death for the Gunners to win us the match 1-0 after a uh, Leandro Trossard header was disallowed in the first half for offside. Um, really kind of boring match. Brentford really kind of backed it up and packed it up and, and kept most of their players in a low block. Um, Arsenal have been facing a lot this season. Obviously, all sort of feared offensive teams do. Uh, and it took Arsenal a long time to break break the deadlock. But l- luckily, right before the end of, of regular time, Bukayo Saka's cross into the box found Kai Havertz's head. Um, I think there's minor cause for concern from this performance from an Arsenal perspective. Obviously, it, it feels great to, to get the three points. But... Um, there have been a lot of these kind of janky one nil victories or like sneaky victories by one goal this season. And it feels like um, this team just isn't operating at its full offensive capability. And I'd really love to see the tactical adjustments that are necessary to be made so that the team can unlock these sort of free flowing offense that we had last season. Yeah, definitely. I mean, I feel like whenever a team at the top of the table gets, a 1-0 victory um, towards the end that's kind of a sloppy performance. People will always say, you know, that's a title-winning victory right there because, the, like, they always say it's the games where you play your worst but you walk away with the right result that are the, that are the games that separate other sides from the title contenders. Yeah. But at the same time, you don't want too many of those performances because I think that's more indicative of underlying issues. I kind of feel like that's where Arsenal are sitting right now, where their offense, I mean, I think you scored one less goal than us, but still feels a little bit more stagnant. I don't know if you think that's a fair assessment. Um, I agree. I completely agree. I think that's, that's kind of in essence what I said as well. Um, There's an element to which, 
you know, everyone keeps saying, oh, you've got to remember for City, De Bruyne is out. But you also have to remember for Arsenal that this was Odegaard's first match in over a month. You know what I mean? Like, Arsenal have had a really inconsistent staff so far this season. And to to see the team back at full strength after Saka had his his fitness issues, Martinelli's had fitness issues, Odegaard's been out for a while now, Jesus obviously was out for a period. Um, to see all the boys healthy again is encouraging as an Arsenal fan to think that sooner rather than later, Arteta will find a way to crack that code and, and get the offense firing again because he's got all his weapons back now. Mm-hmm. But yeah, I mean, we'll we see. end the weekend at the top of the table. So, I mean, we're not too much to the top of the league. Not, not too much to complain about in that aspect. Um, but no, sir. Like I said, I don't know. It it'll be really interesting if City can go on one of their epic runs and just rack up the points like they have in previous seasons, or we will see a genuine three horse race. That which would be epic. Very entertaining. Absolutely epic. Um, it would put a serious strain on our friendship, but it would be very entertaining. Yeah, no, this is the first season that we've like followed together where there's been a, a lot of conflict with, you know, where we're we're battling for positions. That's never happened. Yeah, our uh, clubs the, are intimate like competition against one another right now, and that's 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 a new dynamic for you and I as friends, which is pretty yeah. interesting. For the longest time, Arsenal were kind of nowhere to be seen. And then last year, Liverpool was nowhere to be seen. But Yeah. So, it, it, I mean, we'll see what happens moving forward. But, yeah, definitely, um, definitely, <laughs> folks, we were having a conversation recently. And, and Connor and I agreed that when Arsenal play Liverpool this season, we probably are not going to be able to watch that match together. Uh, nah. In fact, I think I, I will probably have to stay out of the group chat for a nice – like 48 hour sandwich around that match just so that we don't know no texting for the day before or after just so we prevent any serious podcast ending conflict um <laughs> oh man okay let's uh let's bounce on to a result that i think we all enjoyed um tottenham one aston villa two really great goal from watkins to end this match uh and villa take three points um tottenham are i think People will panic. I think people will say Tottenham are listing. And, and while they have been dropping points in the last few matches, I think they've lost all three of their last three games. Um, they're still a strong side. They, they've been stricken by a few suspensions and injuries, so it's been a little bit tough for them. Uh, but I do see Tottenham bouncing back from this, uh, maybe not back to first place on the table, but um, back into a sort of – like I think this squad is definitely good enough to make uh, top four or five teams and, and hold near the position they're at right now. Yeah, um, I don't. I, de- I definitely don't think that this is too much of a cause for concern for Tottenham. They do have the injuries, and also, like, I don't know if you watched this game or saw the highlights, but they were pretty hard done by uh, Son scoring a hat trick. Dude, uh, Son off hat trick of disallowed goals. Yeah, of offside goals. Um, so, I mean, yeah, they can walk away from this loss feeling a bit hard done by knowing they're going to get players back. Um, but if they started Emerson Royale at, at center back and yeah, you're going to struggle against Ollie Watkins, who's one of the most informed players in the league. Um, the way he took 
that second goal, he gets it out of his feet insanely quickly. It's absurd to watch. Um, but Ollie Watkins is a very, very talented soccer player. Yeah, yeah. It's very – I don't know. It, it was kind of similar to Trent's goal, except he's under more pressure and has to get it out even quicker than Trent did, and which is quite incredible because Trent had to get it out of his feet insanely quickly. Um, so Trent was able to get more power on the shot, but the fact that Watkins even got that off was incredible. Um, but do you think getting... Watkins will ever be purchased by like a really big money club? Like I know Villa are, are in the conversation right now, but like a consistently top five, six team, like will, will, will that be Watkins' future? Cause I think he's good enough to do it. Um, I, I don't know because it... He's already 27. Um, so is Ivan Tony. Yeah. They're in very similar boats, those two, those two players. Well, right now, uh, Ollie Watkins' stock is definitely higher considering he's actually playing first-team football. Yes. Um, but um, Price tag would be crazy high. Yeah, the price tag right now would be crazy high. And I think you'd get when, him you sell, when you sell – Like when you – buy a player like that at a crazy price tag, you're able to eat so much of that cost because you're thinking six years down the line, but with a player 27 years old, you can't do that. Um, and you're going to get nowhere near the value when you sell him. So I, I don't know. I yeah, can see him being club. a great striker that doesn't necessarily go to a top level side. Yeah. yeah. I, I, that, that's pretty fair. Um, Which I'd love to see. I, ho- I like, hope he stays at Villa. Like Danny Ings, but actually good. Um, yeah. No, Danny Ings good. actually played for Liverpool, so. Yeah, true. But he didn't do that good for Liverpool. Yeah. But uh, also another can... thing. Oh, go ahead. Seeing as the Aston Villa and Arsenal matches were right in a row, I have to bring this up. I saw a quote where somebody said that if Unai Emery was in charge of Arsenal yeah, last year, was... they would have won the league, which I thought was such an ab- absurd quote because we saw Unai Emery at Arsenal for years, and he did nothing with them. We got nowhere um, near a title. And it's not like – I don't know. Unai Emery has, is a great manager. He's done fantastically with clubs, especially in cup competitions. But it's not like he's ever won La Liga. Like – yeah. There's nothing that he's done in his career that proves that he would have been in a better position to steer Arsenal to win the league than than Mikel Arteta. No, I agree. I mean, Arsenal could have maybe won the Carabao Cup, but... Yeah, no, I agree. I I saw that post as well, and I thought it was a bit absurd. Um, There's just something about Emery, and and here's what I'll tell you, bro. This This is what it boils down to, right? It's all about personality. Um, it's all about personality and respect. So when you get a coach like Una Emery, right, he came into Arsenal and he had obviously his ideas that he wanted to run for the club. Uh, but I don't think he did a good enough job being assertive with the backroom people to get what he wanted done. Like when the club spent all that, uh, all that money on Nicola Pepe, you know who he wanted to buy that summer? Wilfred Zaha, but they didn't let him. 
There is no way, shape, or form that at this point in time, anyone in that club is saying no to Mikel Arteta when he wants a player. I mean, they spent 60 million pounds on goddamn Kai Havertz, who was crap last season. You know what I mean? Like, let's be realistic. There's a difference in the personality and approach of Mikel Arteta and Unai Emery. And Unai Emery would never have demanded enough control to make Arsenal into the team that they were last season, even with the personnel. And he would never have recruited that level of personnel either because Arteta is gifted and his work with Edu has been top tier for the league and revolutionary in, in many ways. Yeah. That's my two cents on it. Yeah, I completely agree. I mean, Aston Villa, I think, is at the level of club Unai Emery should be at. Um, not to say that he's not a good manager, but like he's done well with those sides that sit a little bit lower down the table in the leagues and overperform in cup competitions and overperform sometimes during the season, but for the most part, He's most of his success has been in the cup. So I think it's, yeah, very weird thing to say. Uh, I just had to bring that up. Yeah, I'm glad you did because it was kind of a ridiculous thing for it was a pundit, like a former player or someone said that ridiculous idiot. It kind of just goes um, to show that former players really should not be trusted as pundits. No. Um, because, yes, they can show some insight occasionally that, you know, regular analysts can't but when it comes to like declarative statements about players and coaches so often they're so incredibly wrong and just they look at such a minute window of time that it's that you can't draw any analysis from it a lot of them are just playing buddy buddy too like most of the time they just say nice things about their friends yeah it's pretty ridiculous but beside the point, let's t- we got two matches to get through. The viewers are probably kicking their freaking radios, getting ready to stop listening to us. So we'll hustle. Um, Everton, nil. Man United, three. Uh, not the game that any of us expected it to be. I do steal a cheeky point because I did pick Man United to win, but not like this. That was This was an asserted victory from United. I, w- I was impressed by them. I, I think... The whole league expected Everton to come out firing and and kind of grip this fixture by its you know with the with its teeth basically because they you know they, they're coming off of this point seduction out of the international break fired up and ready to compete and they really let expectations down. I thought they were pretty poor, uh, and they did get clobbered in the end. Yeah, um, I don't think. I think the the result was a slightly unfair to them. I mean, it, it's kind of been the season or the the issue with Everton all season is they've actually outperformed teams but lost. Um, XG wise, Everton should have won this game, and like obviously can't take too much from XG because the result is the result, but. You know, it's it's kind of surprising. You don't expect it from Everton, let alone a team managed by Sean Dyche to be have one of the highest XGs in the league. But they've created so many chances. And in terms of expected goal differential, they should be way higher in the table. Um, 
but they haven't put away their chances. Um, and it just so happened that Man United put away some ridiculous chances in this game. Dude, that Garnacho goal is – I mean, it, it's it's kind of nailed on his goal this season right now, isn't it? Yeah, probably. It's um, a bit unfair on Pablo Sarabia because he scored that fantastic goal a couple weeks ago for the Wolves. Um, but, yeah, this is better. This was this was take your breath away good. Yeah. Yeah. I would just like to say he did shin it, but it doesn't matter. Yeah, he did he did hit it with the shin, but you know, it, it did go into the net kind of at a ridiculous angle, so there's not much that you can say besides wow. Uh all right. We've got one match left. Um it would be Fulham three, Wolves two. This match broke my heart. I had predicted a 2-2 draw, so I was very happy um, when it was equalized. But Fulham went ahead and won another penalty and won the match on the pen. So three penalties in this match, Connor. It was. Uh, do you think that was over-refereeing, or did it seem fair to you? I, I, I thought that at least two of the three were definitely, definitely penalties. Uh, I mean, I think this whole season's been over-refereed. Like, I don't know. I, I, I think that it, it's just astounding that, like, as an American fan who watches the NFL, who watches other sports, it's pretty incredible how poorly conducted VAR is. Um, it is like. Like, it's not the system. So many English people get upset with the system. It's not the system. It's the people running it. Um, and, yeah. yeah. Say it louder for the wolves, people back to hear it. Wolves can feel a little bit hard done by again. Um, but, yeah. Yeah, I think it's well, just going to continue it, throughout the season. The concept of it is a little is a little poor. Because one thing that the NFL really stays away from is reviewing – fouls and opinion calls like that for the most part you know what i mean like you're setting the referee up to be criticized if you're sending him to the monitor to review something as subjective as was that a foul or not yeah i think in the box there is a little bit more of like just the the nature of the game and and the idea of a penalty box requires a little bit more scrutiny there but yeah i do think it's a little bit absurd how often refs are sent to the monitor to check to see if there's contact in such a slowed down way you're always going to see the contact um it's always going to be there you can almost always call the foul um it does take away from the judgment that referees on the field do have so i don't know I I just I think that I mean when you when you talk about American sports I don't think any league does video review better than the NFL. The NFL is a really great system for it, um, and you just don't see the same kind of goofy nonsense that you get with with VAR. And uh, I just don't know how it it should work, but I think there's a lot that the Premier League can learn from the NFL. I also think one big thing they can learn is make more 
like declarative statements on this is how the game will be called. Like you look yeah. at a lot of the, and, and they can't really make those declarative statements because the game is called so inconsistently so often where yeah. a foul one week is not a foul. Like Kovacic should have been sent off. Like if, if the Premier League wants to get rid of those types of tackles where like the Curtis Jones tackle, like the tackle that has sent off so many players this season, the studs onto higher up on the ankle. If the Premier League wants to get rid of that, make a statement saying this will be a red card. Where if, if the NFL has a minor rule change, it is stated, or, you know, this will be the review process. This is what we are looking for. Like, they make statements about how the game will be officiated. And the league needs to do that more. Um, instead of talking about, hey, this foul will be called this way and it will always be a red card, they updated the standards for like how players can communicate with refs, like only the captain can talk to the refs. Like that was that the big change that needed to be made between seasons? No. Uh, so, I don't know. Maybe it'll help though. It should at least keep annoying ass players from screaming at the ref, which will kind of make the game less annoying to watch. Um, but yeah, I don't know. I think we, we've kind of we've kind of tapped the the conversation here. We've done done well to fill the uh, the time with some true nonsense from us. Um, and yeah, VAR sucks. Well, the refing in the league sucks. The refing in the league sucks. I, I think that they, we've seen too many fouls this year on, like, free kicks where you're looking at it in, like, the NFL, you could call holding on every play. And on in the Premier League, you could call a penalty on any free kick into the box. Yes. But you just don't unless it's blatant. And we're seeing that really inconsistent this year, and it's just poor. Mm-hmm. All right, cool. Glad we said our piece. Uh, Connor, I'll talk to you again soon, mate. Thanks for chatting with me. Yep. See ya. Peace.